the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour, 5 p.m., as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. The nation's trade deficit grew more than expected in August. Figures out today show the gap widened by $3 billion to $73.3 billion. Analysts had forecast an increase of just half a billion dollars. Meanwhile, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer announced an agreement has finally been reached to extend the government's borrowing authority into December, averting a debt crisis, at least for now. With some insight and discussion, joining me now is 30-plus-year financial manager and the principal of Vitucci & Associates, Pat Vitucci. Well, Pat, we've been uh, with some eagerness watching what's been going on in Washington, D.C., and I think it's interesting to note this whole issue of indebtedness. My goodness, you know, in 1980, the federal debt was about a trillion dollars. By 2021, a mere 41 years later, here we have a debt ceiling of 28.5 trillion, soon to be increased, the actual debt at 30.24 trillion. And if you work the numbers out, that's an average of $500 billion more we've spent every single year for the last four decades Then we took in. Seems like just another example of a lesson never learned by Congress. You know, we've been doing this show for, what, 26 years plus, and you and I and Charlie have talked about debt issues. The three of us worry about it and are wringing our hands about it because we kind of reflect on our own portfolio. And if any one of the three of us had debt issues commensurate in proportion to our income, I think the three of us would be sharing a tent under a bridge. We just can't live with that kind of debt. And yet our federal government has the, the right, has the privilege of printing money anytime they want. Right now, Congress is again looking to spend when you add up all the goodies, it's about five to six trillion dollars more of goodies to to hand out to all their constituents for the next election. The three of us worry about it and have been doing that for 27 years on this show. Our friends in Washington don't have a care in the world. And I find that dichotomy to be interesting because we've stressed over it for all these years. And Congress's, both parties, frankly, continue to... Be pretty carefree and callous about a $30 trillion debt level. And China stands in the background holding a lot of that debt and kind of 
smirking and smiling and saying, aha, at the right time, we're just going to take over the USA because they're broke. Meanwhile, they continue to invest throughout the globe, building bridges and ports and other important structural things in these countries that are very much enjoying seeing China come in and build these structures. They've got this long-range plan of kind of dominating the world, and they're being quite successful at it. Our congressional friends just continue to look at their constituents for the next election so that myopic short-sightedness. I worry about the long-term pattern of behavior, but we've been worrying about that behavior for 26 years. But clearly, China is about to be the largest industrialized country on the planet, being much more aggressive and much more prudent and pragmatic and smart about where they're investing and we just keep digging ourselves a deeper hole. Of course, the thing you worry about here is, yeah, we keep raising the debt limit, but what if we didn't? What if we started lowering it? I and mean, what happens to all these ideas about spending in Washington? I mean, that's what people don't want to think about. Then people aren't going to get this, they're not going to get that, or whatever it might be. Uh, we're not raising these just just for nothing at all. Um, and everybody has things that they want to that they want to push, and and here we go. Boy, is it going to get to a hundred trillion dollars? Maybe. I, I mean, who knows? And yeah. What exactly does that mean? I don't doubt you and I and Craig may not see that hundred trillion dollars numbers, but maybe our kids will. But I think the music will stop at some point, and we'll have some day of reckoning. I hope I'm not around to see that because it it will make the depression of 1929, the crash of 08, the pandemic issues we've dealt with, make that look like child's play. You know, interesting, Pat, because throughout our history, during times of crises, seeing a major spike in spending has been logical. But oddly enough, if you look at some of the big events, for example, the last of World War II, 1945, the percentage of debt to GDP was 104%. So basically, we spent 4% more than everything being produced by the economy. Oddly enough, in the depth of the Great Depression, at its worst year, it was only 43.5% of GDP. Today, that 104% that we saw in 1945, we're back there again in spite of the fact that there's no major economic crisis facing us at the moment. And analysts have indicated that if we keep up this current pace in 30 years' time, by 2050, we will see the income-to-debt ratio, the percentage of public debt to GDP, at 200%. And i got to imagine at that point, boy, you're, you're not just looking at China having taken over, you're looking at China owning the whole thing. And, you know, back in World War II, we were fighting a noble cause. I mean, nobody wanted to be a fascist. You could almost justify that. What's the justification today to give more socialist programs and become more like Venezuela? It's not a noble cause to borrow another $6 trillion to buy votes in those markets that are they're of the opposite party's opinion. And also, the other issue is right now we're at a very contrived low interest rate. It's done with smoke and mirrors at 1%. What if we let the interest rate ride to where it really should be in the 
three, four, five, six percent range, that line item on the budget now becomes untenable and not a pragmatic way to pay down that debt. Just pay the interest on the debt, not pay down the debt, pay the interest on the debt. It's a pretty scary idea. And my fear is these knuckleheads in Washington did not pass Economics 101. That makes me anxious about it. And again, the three of us have been talking about it, albeit much smaller numbers 26 years ago. Not to sound dour, not to sound cataclysmic, but it's a source of worry for me. And it, frankly, it should be for all of us. And the level of sophistication of the purchasing in Washington is shallow at best. It's a shame, Pat, that their amount of money they spend isn't shallow as well. Friday edition of Lifeline for this October 8th rolling your way. I'm Craig Roberts. We're taking a look at some of the headline news today and most certainly what's been going on in Washington, D.C. related to the current debt debate. We're going to talk more about how it impacts your financial life as our discussion with Pat Vitucci continues. By the way, Pat's program, Don't Invest and Forget, can be heard every Saturday morning at 8 a.m. on our sister station, Business Radio 1220 KDOW. So make it a point to tune in for that. We'll take a time out, come back with more. Take a look at traffic, though, first as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back as we are taking a look at the headlines of the week and their impact on the world of money and, of course, your financial life. Well, Pat, in the previous segment, we were talking much about the current debt crisis in Washington, D.C. that seems to not be of concern to anyone spending the billions and trillions of dollars. But beyond that, let's pivot to other issues as this really gets down to the heart of the example how not to manage money and what folks ought to be thinking about when it impacts their own financial life. We're really talking today from a microeconomic point of view. We've got some serious supply chain issues, a shortage of truck drivers. Britain calls them lorry drivers. They, and Britain is now having their military come in and drive trucks just to keep the economy going. We've got a shortage of truck drivers in this country. We've got a shortage of port workers. There are ships waiting offshore in all the major ports in this country. They can't bring them in because there's not enough port workers. And so this stuffed teddy bear you were going to buy for your child or grandchild, buy them now. There's going to be a shortage. And so you got to do your Christmas shopping in October now if you want that special toy or the special outfit for your child or grandchild. So we've got some leftover issues from the pandemic that are going to linger, many experts say, throughout 2022. I mean, just the chip shortage alone. GM can't produce cars because they're chip shortage. You know, cars are smartphones on wheels. They have a lot of circuitry in them that demand chips because there's a chip shortage and it's projected to last throughout 2022, we're going to see some constraints there as well. We did create over half a million jobs this past month, so that's good news as those checks from the federal government cease to exist. Those workers are having to go back to work. In fact, Target is, is being pretty aggressive 
they're offering $2 more an hour to employees who work from November 20th to December 19th. So they're getting trying to get ahead of this uh, issue by offering a $2 an extra bonus, $2 per hour bonus for those workers who want to take those seasonal jobs at uh, Target. Well, Pat, certainly as we're dialoguing about what's going on nationally, and this ought to be of interest to all of us, even though the numbers are impossible to try to digest and fully understand, they all do suggest implications in terms of downward pressure on the economy, concerns about the ability of the government to do its job. That's everything from electric light, paving roads, keeping schools open, all of that. And God forbid there be a major event that requires a huge influx of cash that would then potentially really put the entire economy on the ropes. But I think the bigger concern here, too, is people should look at Washington, D.C. and say, this is an example of how not to manage your own household economy. The minute you spend more than you take in and engage in that habit, that lifestyle of deficit spending, you're in for significant trouble. And if anything, people that are thinking about setting money aside for a child's education, buying a home someday, certainly for retirement, really need to do the due diligence when it comes to not just balancing their budget, managing their money, but creating the discipline to actively put money aside for those events and make sure in a day and age when we see so much market volatility to be certain that that's actively managed. Here at the start of the third quarter, what are some things that the average investor out there, the guy that's going to work, putting money into a 401k, taking care of a family, what does he or she need to be thinking about here at the start of the third quarter? Well, again, I think it's a good time to look at what we call sector rotation. As we are hopefully coming out of this the pandemic, the participating sectors are again changing. It's time to reflect on where your money should be, again, based on your risk appetite, based on your actual utility of the money. When am I going to start taking this money out? These are issues that I think need addressing you know, you touched on a point, and we, we've talked about spending more at the federal level, and everything we do as financial advisors is exactly opposite of what the federal government's doing. I liken it, a couple of years ago, I was in Australia, and I drove about 500 miles, and of course, they're on the wrong side, wrong side of the road. And every bone in your body says, I'm doing something very wrong. It feels very wrong. It feels awkward. It feels dangerous. And I felt that way every mile I drove, especially when you go around the roundabouts, and they have a lot of them there. Every bone in your body says you're going the wrong way, and when you take your road to where you want to go, it just it feels very wrong. You feel like you're going to crash. We do this with our clients every day. We say save more, spend less. Don't spend what you don't have. And then we read the paper and we look at the six o'clock news and the federal government does that day in and day out. And every bone in my body says, this feels wrong. You should stop immediately because that's what we preach every day. And we coach every day with our clients, only spend what you can afford, live within your means. And so that goes right down to the core of your heart and says, stop doing it. But here we see every day 
the federal government doing it. And so you're right, Craig. We have to really live within our means, understand the reality of where our portfolio is going to take us for the number of years we have left and be pragmatic, be conservative, be real. And so we always encourage that despite what the federal government's done, we've got to stick to to the basic issues that drives our lifestyle. We can't print money. Well, the one thing that we don't talk about very much is, you know, the federal government is spending money like crazy just over and over. But the problem is things cost a lot more, too. I mean, to do the same thing today that we did 10 years ago, you know, costs a lot more than it did 10 years ago, even if it's the same same thing. Just like uh, the rest of us, the federal government has to face that, too. And the debt ceiling just keeps climbing. But it's a lot different uh, now than it was 10 years ago to do things. So, you know, it's a, it's a dilemma. Well, you're right, Charlie. It is a dilemma. And certainly, as the government can raise the debt limit, print more money, borrow till there's no tomorrow... The average individual doesn't have that luxury. And especially once you arrive at retirement, you know, you can borrow money to buy a car, a house, even educate a child. But you really, practically speaking, can't borrow money for retirement. So due diligence today is critically important. As we start the fourth quarter of the year, maybe it's time to take a look at your portfolio. To get some insights, maybe take advantage of that complimentary financial health and retirement plan review. All you need to do is go online to don'tinvestandforget.com and schedule your appointment. Pat, as always, I appreciate you carving out some time for us today to talk a bit about the markets and what's going on with the world of money and, <laughs> and the inability of Congress to apparently understand what a budget really means. Check out Pat's program, Don't Invest and Forget, Saturday mornings at 8 a.m. on our sister station, Business Radio 1220 KDOW. All right, we're going to pause for a moment, get you updated on some traffic, come back with more here on the Friday, October 8th edition of Lifeline, rolling your way from KFAX. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. As we introduce our guest tonight, I am reminded of many of the weddings, certainly down through the years that I have attended, where generally after a few glowing words that are spoken by a minister in attendance, uh, there's an exchange of vows, and, and much of this seems to focus on largely the notion that they're going to live happily ever after they are completed in each other, uh, that there is uh, just a wonderful thing that happens when two people come and, and pledge their love in marriage. And then, of course, reality sets in. And I, and I say that somewhat with tongue planted in cheek, but yet I think a lot of us have some pretty big distortions about what marriage is, what the roles are between the spouses, and uh, what the expectations ought to be. And boy, especially in this arena of expectations, uh, oftentimes people are in for a very rude, rude awakening. And of course, uh, the evidence of that is the divorce rate in America today. Well, Dr. Chris Thurman has taken the time to dig down into many of these myths concerning marriage and outright says, look, 
you need to rethink your approach. You need to go into this by being transformed by the truth if you're going to have the hope of a successful marriage relationship. Dr. Thurman, as we mentioned, is an author. He is also a Christian psychologist. He's conducted hundreds of personal growth seminars addressing uh, topics including marriage. And his new book is called The Lies Couples Believe, How Living the Truth Transforms Your Marriage. And Dr. Thurman, good to have you with us on the program. Craig, thank you so much for having me. Boy, this is a, an experience in life where amazingly a lot of married couples go into this thing with eyes wide closed, don't they? Well, unfortunately, we do. We walk down the aisle, and uh, we think we might have a pretty good handle on what we're getting into, but uh, God certainly uses the marital relationship to um, challenge us and to get us to uh, see more clearly what marriage is all about and how he's trying to use it to help us to mature. This this image first out the gate, and it largely seems to be uh, kind of the thing of which uh, fairy tales are made of, as opposed to most realistic and long-term marriages, and that is this notion that we're going to live happily ever after, that once we say I do and the ring exchange has taken place, that it, it's only the rare couple or the people that don't work hard enough that end up getting into trouble. But most don't most couples, when they go into this, really think that, that they've got all they need to be successful? I think they do, Craig. I think that's a common assumption that people make. Um, and I do think that we buy into kind of the Hollywood notion that um, it will be happily ever after. And uh, as you said earlier, the reality of marriage being difficult and people being fallen and hurtful at times uh, begins to set in. And then we're not so happy and we begin to question if we're not careful having gotten married and we begin to think about other options and uh, think that happiness might be somewhere else out there for us hmm. failed or incomplete expectations that that seems to kind of be one of the most glaring if we had to look for uh, maybe an overall overreaching overarching phrase about where people run into so much trouble doesn't it that their expectations for what marriage is about their expectations about how they're going to relate to their spouse, how their spouse will relate to them, is oftentimes one of the big danger areas, isn't it? I think it is. I think we do, uh, even if it's unconsciously, I think we go into marriage with these uh, fairly lofty expectations and that uh, oftentimes are not all that grounded in reality as to what a person can bring to us what we can bring to them and so expectations can be a real killer in a marriage and lead people to be bitter and resentful when those expectations are not lived up to Let, let's reset a few early on in the book and and when i read your new book the lies couples believe i thought boy um <laughs> wouldn't this upset a lot of brides who are busy uh, writing their marriage vows uh, to read the book and, and specifically your chapter on uh, how the spouse will 
complete me or will meet all of my needs. I've been to many weddings where the vows that are exchanged and lovingly you even see this take place during the reception when they're toasting each other or cutting the cake, how that my husband so-and-so, my wife so-and-so, she completes me. And that flowerly language sounds lovey-dovey, but it falls short of a major reality, doesn't it, Doctor? It does. Um, You know, the reality of every human being is that we're finite, and uh, we can't possibly meet the total package of needs that another human being has. But again, we buy into the idea that if we have found the right person, they're going to be capable of completely meeting every need that we have. And uh, what I try to discuss in that chapter is God has a wide variety of healthy, appropriate ways to meet your total package of needs, and that we need to be careful not to drop all of our needs on our spouse's doorstep. And that's pretty uh, pretty unrealistic, too, isn't it? I mean, in terms of the enormous amount of pressure that it puts on an individual. I mean, think certainly from a Christian perspective, uh, we ought to be thinking about God as the one uh, who is most completely and fully capable of meeting all of our needs. To put that kind of pressure on a spouse, to have that level of expectation, I mean, it, it would seem to me that you're, you're setting yourself up for disappointment because, let's face it, we all make mistakes. We're all frail. We're all human. We are still all struggling with sin. Well, we are. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think God is bothered that we put that pressure on him because he's omni. He's all-knowing, all-powerful, and everywhere at once. So he's not intimidated by us turning to him for our needs to be met and and i think he my own understanding is that he wants us to be incredibly careful about not putting that kind of pressure on a spouse or a best friend or anyone else down here on earth We're talking about this matter of being transformed by truth in marriage relationships with Dr. Chris Thurman. The new book is called The Lies Couples Believe, and I I find it interesting because we get into early chapters in the book that talk about the misnomer of happily ever after or how that uh, my spouse will complete me or meet all of my needs, and it's very evident that those two misconceptions alone sets the marriage off the rails pretty quickly that the balance of the chapters in the book deal with now the sudden attempt at compensation when things are not going idealistically. And, of course, we find out that there's an awful lot of lies that we believe in that attempt to try and compensate or reason our way through why things aren't going as idealistically as we thought they would or should. We'll talk about that further as our discussion continues. Dr. Chris Thurman, our guest, he is the author of The Lies Couples Believe, How Living the Truth Transforms Your Marriage. A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. 
Welcome back to our conversation. Craig Roberts along with Dr. Chris Thurman. His new book, The Lies Couples Believe, How Living the Truth Transforms Your Marriage. Let's talk a bit about um, how this goes off the rails pretty quickly, Doctor, and you dive into this fairly early on in the book. One of the one of the lies that is oft repeated, and I think it's our sort of our attempt to try and, and, and mentally uh, justify the early cracks that we see in the fuselage, so to speak, in our marriage, and that is this notion that, well, yeah, there's some difficulties here, but my spouse is really the bigger problem. You know, Craig, I think that's very common for people to um, think that way. Uh, it is my spouse who's got more issues. They are the more troubled person. They have the bigger plank in their eye than I do in mine. And that kind of uh, mindset obviously is pretty hurtful to the person that you're married to. Uh, it's pretty uh, for lack of a better word, it's pretty arrogant for us to think that uh, we are not equally as big of a mess as a human being. And um, it's just sad that we would ever, you know, have that attitude and uh, not have a more humble attitude of, you know, I've got my issues. Uh, I am just as much a co-creator of our marital health or sickness and I need to be uh, humble about that when I'm interacting with my spouse. You know, oftentimes that same distorted perception as to who the problem is also tends to be a means by which we sort of self-justify by saying, well, you know, at the end of the day, I'm making the effort, I'm doing all the hard work. Some spouses might say, well, I work all day long and I bring home the paycheck, or the other spouse says, yeah, but I'm taking care of the kids and taking care of the house, and so as a result, I'm entitled to my spouse's love. Talk to us about that lie. Craig, the, uh, the whole issue of entitlement uh, is especially toxic in marriage, um, and that's a tough uh, teaching to go into these days because I think, unfortunately, uh, we're almost raised to think that we are entitled. You know, we're entitled to the good life. We're entitled to be treated with respect. And when it comes to marriage, if we're not careful, we think we're entitled to our spouse being loving, entitled to them being kind, entitled to them uh, carrying their fair share of the load. So what I'm after in that chapter is I want us to consider shifting away from an entitlement mindset to I would like my spouse to uh, love me. I would like my spouse to help me carry the load. More of a humble attitude of I want that from them. I'm not entitled to it, but I desire it. There's also this notion that we oftentimes um, will try to justify some of our own faults or failures by saying, well, you know, I am the way I am because uh, no, you know, no fault of my own. This was the way I was raised. I realize that I have simple or a certain uh, uh, failures or faults. But at the end of the day, my spouse just has to accept me the way I am. And of course, that usually is coupled with and but all of the defects that he or she has, I'm going to work toward changing them. They have to change, not me. Yes, I uh, in that chapter I mentioned the uh, cartoon Popeye because one of his more iconic lines was, I am who I am. And um, 
What I'm going into there is a lot of people have that attitude, and it's really kind of a smokescreen for, I don't want you to push me to change. I don't want you to be on me about anything that I might need to polish off the rough edges of. So do we need acceptance from our spouse? Yes, of course we do. Are they supposed to accept us warts and all? Absolutely. But does that mean that we shouldn't be open to them saying, hey, I don't like this about you. Would you be willing to work on not being that way? I think a marriage that isn't an iron sharpening iron marriage is a no-growth marriage. So I'm very concerned whenever my couples that come to see me kind of wrap themselves in the accept me as I am flag and basically don't want to do any changing while they're married. Mm. Now, toward that end, there's also this notion that um, we would get along better if they would just think like me. This runs into cases, for example, in a marriage where there's a spender and a saver who have married. And we're saying, well, if my if my spouse, who's this major spender, would just become a saver like me, if they just act or think or be like me, that would fix all the problems. You know, I have to admit, uh, that's one of mine. Um, I'm not stereotyping military families, but I grew up in a military family. And uh, we were really told, you know, this is the way you clean things. This is the way you organize things. You need to wax it, shine it, windex it, salute it. And uh, this is the right way to do it. So when I married my wife, Holly, 35 years ago, I had a pretty uh, stubborn attitude about, you know, you need to be like me. I'm the one who knows how to do it right. And if you're not doing it the way I do it, then you're obviously wrong and you need to adjust. And uh, you can imagine how poorly that goes over with another human being who um, is more than free to be the person God made them to be and to have their own style and to not uh, apologize for that. Let's talk about some other issues here that really go to the core of dealing with bitterness and anger. And uh, it's interesting because this reminds me of the person as they're as they're suggesting that um, a spouse must, for example, the the other offending spouse must be the first one to forgive or has to earn forgiveness from the opposite spouse. That this oftentimes also becomes a place where we suddenly find ourselves not only trying to negotiate the, the topic of forgiveness with our spouse, but I would suspect it's like trying to negotiate the terms of forgiveness with God. I think so. And uh, that was one of the tougher chapters of the book to write because um, I think a lot of us do think that forgiveness has to be earned and that the other person has to repent of what they're doing before we will uh, bless them, if you will, with our forgiveness. And so in that chapter, I try to go into the idea that I think is biblically solid, which is forgiveness is commanded. Uh, God says forgive. And so we are not to wait on forgiving somebody. We are not to uh, make them jump through certain hoops before we forgive. Um, and uh, I think that's a hard thing for people to, to do, especially when the other person isn't sorry and they haven't stopped. So I try to distinguish between forgiving somebody 
and what it takes to reconcile with them, which is another chapter of the book. But and of course, ironically, as we talk about that in perspective of our relationship with God, you know, it, it, certainly He wants there to be reconciliation. God wants to be reconciled unto His creation, wants to walk in fellowship and relationship with His creation. But we also have to ex- recognize that on God's terms, it requires repentance. Yes, and that's uh, a distinction that a lot of people also uh, are a little bit slow to get to. Uh, I try to use the uh, prodigal son story to drive home the issue of forgiveness versus reconciliation. And so in that story, as far as I can tell, the forgiveness had already been granted, if you will, by the father to his son before he returned from the foreign land. So forgiveness was already achieved. But the reconciliation couldn't take place until the son came out of the foreign land. So with my couples, I push them pretty hard on, hey, guys, you're kidding yourself. If you think you guys can reconcile, if neither of you are repentant of what you've been doing wrong, that's been hurtful to the other person. The new book is called The Lies Couples Believe. How Living the Truth Transforms Your Marriage. And the book, by the way, is newly published by David C. Cook and available at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, as well as the usual suspects, Amazon.com, and also through Dr. Thurman's website, Dr. Chris Thurman, Dr. Just Abbreviated DR, DrChrisThurman.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.